Well, good morning, River City. Uh, you're listening to Sermon Audio from our first ever live stream gathering of River City. Um, I say gathering because we're gathering around a central thing at the same time, but in many ways it's only a shadow of a gathering. If you've been at River City for any length of time, you know that our time in corporate worship and our time in homes, or in community groups, and the opportunities we have to serve others in our community and neighborhoods, these are important things to us. But due to the public health recommendations, we can do none of those things together. And that is disappointing. But a few things before we begin our time. Let me remind us of these. Number one, Jesus Christ still upholds the universe by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. And no virus is strong enough to move the universe, let alone take you or me from the palm of his hand. Two, Jesus Christ is still building his church, and no amount of social, social distancing diminishes the identity nor the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ. And three, we affirm with humble confidence that all of our present hardships and suffering, every single one of them, are still not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, Romans chapter 8. So we adapt and we continue to live out our identity as Christians together as the local church and our mission to love and serve our neighbors with compassion and with wisdom fueled by the hope and peace that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ that is ours. One of the ways we're attempting to adapt is to set up a live stream so that We can all still kind of pray together and study God's Word together, even if via distance. And we're looking at options for including music in the weeks ahead. We're just not there yet. However, we'll continue to put resources in your hands all during the week and on our website. So if you go on our website after this is posted and click on the sermons link and click on the sermon for today, you'll see in that post uh, links to study guides and links to Uh, music that you can worship together with the folks at home. So this morning our call to worship is from Psalm 46 verses 1 through 7. Psalm 46 verses 1 through 7. The psalmist writes this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your goodness and your sovereign care for us. We thank you that you hold us in the palm of your hand. We pray for the many people all over the globe who are hurting who are anxious, who are scared, who are confused. Would you bring peace that surpasses understanding? Would you give wisdom where it's lacking? Would you encourage hearts and minds where concern is giving way to worry? Would you help us to trust you? 
And Lord, would you continue to find your church ready and willing to be used by you to be agents of hope and help to our neighbors and our communities. Spirit of God, thank you that you are not hindered by distance or quarantines. Work in us now and teach us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. We're going to continue our series in Luke. And as you're locating that passage, chapter 5, verse 27, let me lay out a map for the next few minutes. Earlier in chapter 5, we read that Jesus cleansed a leper and then forgives and then heals a paralyzed man. And in this section of Luke, we see Jesus inviting a man named Levi to follow him. And then he spends time with him and his friends at a party. So there seems to be this building momentum, touching a leper, forgiving sin, and now spending time with a tax collector and other various socially unacceptable people. And Jesus seems to be exposing the weakness of what I'm calling man-made religion. A religion not based on God's commands, but on man's preferences. A religion where God becomes an add-on to an otherwise self-sufficient life. Jesus, however, is not an add-on. The kingdom of God is not an add-on to our lives. The kingdom of God comes and invades and transforms our lives and reorders our world. So let's read together, starting in verse 27 and read through verse 39 of Luke chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Verse 33, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests feast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, he says, for the old is good. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Amen. Now, there are a few things going on in this passage. And the corrective that Jesus is bringing to those who are attempting to conform the kingdom of God to their own preferences and fit the kingdom of God to their own religious systems. Look at, we'll look at what it means to follow after Jesus. As Jesus says to Levi, follow me. We'll look at the significance of Jesus talking about fasting and feasting. And we'll also look at what Jesus means when he talks about fresh wine and fresh wineskins. Outlining the passage like this, following Jesus, feasting and fasting, and fresh wineskins. Let's look at verse 27 and following Jesus. Verse 27, after this, he, that's Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. 
And Jesus said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. As Jesus is going along in his ministry, he comes to a tax booth. These stations would be set up along main roads going in and out of cities. And those coming to do commerce in the city would have to pay a tax or a tariff or a toll on their goods. Levi was one of those tax collectors. And here, Levi, also known as Matthew, is manning his booth. Now, Matthew was likely his Greek name, and Levi would have been his Hebrew name. He he worked for Greek-speaking Romans and gathered taxes from Hebrew-speaking Jews. So there's use for the Levi and Matthew names to be known in both spheres. And I think one of the reasons that Luke might use his Hebrew name as opposed to his Greek name is because Luke wants us to be clear that Levi was really disliked among his own people. To the Jews, Levi would have been disliked for two reasons. One, he was somewhat of a traitor to his own people. He he worked for the Romans, for the ruling class, kind of against his own people. And two, the title of tax collector was synonymous with thief. They were paid, in essence, by commission. So it was in a tax collector's best interest to take maybe even more than was necessary. So tax collector was a whole class of people that was roundly disliked and untrustworthy. And Luke tells us that Jesus calls Levi, sitting at his tax booth, to follow him. And the connotation here isn't just, hey, come hang out for the day. But this call to follow me is a salvation type kind of following. And why do I think that? Well, two reasons. First, Luke tells us that Levi left everything. Everything. This is more significant than the fishermen leaving their nets. They could go back to fishing if this whole disciple thing didn't work out. But Levi, he he left his post. And if there was no one sitting at the tax booth, then no taxes would be collected, which is bad for the government. If he abandoned his post, there is no way he would be rehired. It's likely from the party we see him throw next that Levi was wealthy. So not only was he giving up his current job and his livelihood, his income stream, he was also giving up his possible future employment in order to follow Jesus. His leaving everything was literally leaving everything. And we've asked this question before, but but what would it take for someone to make so drastic a move? What would it what would it have to what would have to happen? For someone to take this kind of risk, what are the things that are worth taking this kind of risk in your life? And Levi, he's so excited, so pumped to be with Jesus that he throws a massive party and invites all of his tax collector friends. We see this often. Someone comes face to face with Jesus and is so deeply impacted and transformed that they can't not tell others. So Levi hosts this huge party because he wants everyone in his world to know about this Jesus that he's met. I'm a little convicted. Do I get as excited about Jesus as Levi does here? And verse 30 tells us that the Pharisees, who probably weren't invited to the party, but they're, they've followed Jesus around now and they're watching him carefully, they grumbled. 
They grumbled because Jesus and his disciples are eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus responds. He steps in and just says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So not only does this call to follow me seem like more than just hanging out for the day. One, he left everything. And two, the second reason that this is a whole life change for for Levi is that Jesus' call to follow is a call to repentance. See, leaving everything as Levi does is an example, is the fruit of him giving up his underhanded ways, of cheating others out of their money. It's the practical, tangible example of a heart of repentance, of turning away from his sin. Following Jesus includes repentance. It's key. And Jesus is making the connection for these grumbling Pharisees. The ones that you guys don't want to be around, the the tax collectors and the sinners, they're the ones who need help. And so Jesus is going to those who need help. He's going to the spiritually sick, not to leave them sick, but as a doctor to bring healing and call them to repentance and faith. Jesus doesn't eat with sinners and brush off their sin is no big deal. No, he meets them where they're at and calls them to leave behind their old lives, to repent, to turn from sin and to turn toward him, to follow him. Our current pandemic situation couldn't be more relevant to this picture analogy, right? Who are the ones who need care? Well, the ones who are sick. In the same way, who needs to repent? Sinners. And those who are religious, the Pharisees here, they should know better. (laughs) Jesus is not saying, I've come not for the righteous, but for sinners, and telling the Pharisees that they're righteous, that they're fine on their own. He's criticizing them because they think they're righteous. They think they're okay. They don't realize that they too need a doctor. So let me ask you this. Where are you in danger of missing Jesus' call to follow because you don't think you need a doctor? Or where are you in danger of missing Jesus' mission to others because you've forgotten that you were once sick and spiritually lost and blind and Jesus was compassionate toward you and healed your soul? Jesus' call to follow is an all-in invitation. And Levi's eyes are open to that, and he follows. The gospel comes. The kingdom of God is established in our hearts, and everything changes. Our lives now conform to Jesus' life. While unsatisfied with Jesus' response, the Pharisees take a different approach with Jesus and his disciples, and they question Jesus about why his disciples are feasting rather than fasting. This is uh, verse 33. And they said to Jesus, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Now, according to the law of Moses, there was one required time of fasting for God's people, and that was for the Day of Atonement. Now, there were other calls to fast and pray recorded in the scriptures, but the Day of Atonement was the only one established by the law for national prayer and fasting. However, there's no prohibition in the scriptures to personal disciplines of prayer and fasting. But you see, the Pharisees aren't really concerned for Jesus and his disciples' spiritual well-being. It's a ruse, and Jesus knows it. 
they're criticizing Jesus' disciples for being too cheerful. And they're asking Jesus why his disciples aren't adhering to their secondary practices of fasting in order to prove that they are spiritual, to prove that they're righteous. And Jesus really doesn't even address their question directly, but he asks them a rhetorical question. Look at verse 34. Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Jesus essentially asks them, do you understand who I am and what I'm doing here? He doesn't criticize fasting and prayer. In fact, Luke reminds us often that Jesus would pull away for private prayer. And he says that there will be a time to fast, but right now is not that time. Ecclesiastes 3 is true. There is a time for everything. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And in this case, there's a time for fasting and a time for feasting. And Jesus says the time for feasting is here because I am here. Now, it's not clear if anyone else in the room, including the disciples who were following Jesus, had any idea what he was talking about. But I think Jesus was foreshadowing the picture that we can read about in Revelation 19 of the glorious wedding feast of the Lamb that is to come. Now, we don't have time to cover all that now. In your downtime this week, go read Revelation 19 and the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's a glorious, beautiful picture. But what Jesus is exposing here is their false piety, their false religious exercises and self-righteousness. Look how spiritual we are, they're saying. We fast all the time, and you guys are hanging out with sinners, eating and drinking. Clearly, we're more spiritual than you are. And Jesus turns it around on them and says, you still don't understand who I am and why I've come. Question for us. Where are we tempted to think of ourselves as more faithful or more religious or more spiritual than others? as a way of proving outwardly our righteousness. And maybe a more subtle application. What robs us of our joy in being with Jesus? Fasting and prayer should stir our joy in Christ, our desire to commune with our Father. Notice Jesus doesn't criticize fasting. He just puts it in his place. See, I believe there is biblical warrant and spiritual benefit to intentional prayer and fasting, and it is designed. All of our spiritual disciplines are intended to reorient our hearts and increase our joy in Jesus. So whether in feasting or in fasting, the goal is increased joy in Jesus, increased love for God's Word, and a closer identification with Him and His mission. That's what feasting and fasting is all about. And finally, Jesus tells them a parable. Look at verse 36. He says, No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. Now, I am not an elite textile mind, but I think I understand what Jesus is getting at. We all have a favorite shirt or sweatshirt or pair of jeans that is just raggedy, right? Have you ever tried to patch that shirt or patch those jeans? I have. Iron-on patches, sewn-on patches, and they almost never last. Why? Well, it could be in part to my subpar sewing skills. That's a reality. But it could also be 
that because the old item is stretched out and thin and worn and the new fabric is solid and often unshrunk, so you wash it a couple of times and it starts to pull away and make the old item more torn and worn and the new patch comes loose. Not only will the new patch not match, I've now ruined the patch of fabric and the old item even more. You just can't patch up an old item with a new piece of fabric very easily. Jesus continues in verse 37. He says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst and the skins, uh, burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Now, I don't know if anyone listening uh, here makes their own wine, but this would have been a pretty common practice. Wine was kept and, and sometimes finished fermenting in animal skins. So newly made wine will be put in fresh skins because the fermentation process releases carbon dioxide, which is a gas, and the fresh skins would stretch. And after a skin was used for a while for wine, it could still be useful for holding water or other liquids or maybe even old wine, but likely not for new wine again because the skin would be stretched out. And Jesus explains this. A skin that was already stretched starting to dry out as it aged, would likely crack or burst, and then you would lose both the skin and the new wine you're making. This is a lose-lose. So what is Jesus saying about the kingdom with these parables? I think at least in part, Jesus is making a statement that the kingdom of God, the call to follow, is not something that you can just mix in with your current religious beliefs can't just be mixed in with the Pharisees' religious practices and man-made rules. It's not compatible as an add-on to an otherwise comfortable life. No, the new wine of the kingdom of God, the new covenant in Christ Jesus, requires a new wineskin. Now, this isn't a throwing out of the law. This isn't a getting rid of spiritual disciplines or personal devotion. It's understanding and applying all of the truth of God's word in light of the radical transformation that comes in Christ Jesus. It's a reordering of our lives around the truth and grace of the gospel. And in verse 39, Jesus presses into the heart of the problem. Look at what he says. No one, after drinking the old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. The word translated as good in the ESV depending on the context, can also mean fine or easy. Some manuscripts translate the word as better. For he says the old is better. And I don't want to make too much of it, but it could almost be read, the old is good enough. Jesus is pushing on their level of comfort with the status quo. We're good enough. Our religion is good enough. We like our way better. Here's an example from my life. One summer during college, my wife Amy and I were on an outreach team that traveled around the region to small churches to help with VBS and Sunday services. And the curriculum we were using told the story of the clean and unclean animals and the Apostle Peter from Acts chapter 10. And so with school kids, we talked about animals. In one class I was teaching, a kid piped up and told the whole class, raised hand, that his dog had recently died. And then looked at me square in the eyes and asked me, is my dog in heaven? Now, I'm a 20-year-old idiot at the time, but I gave what I thought was a good answer. Well, 
I'm not really sure about all that, but I do know that God made you, and He made me, and He made us in His image, and He loves us very much, so that if we believe in Jesus, we get to be with Him forever, or something like that. That's what I told the boy. Well, after class that day, an angry mom came right up, got in my face, and asked, why did you tell my son that our dog didn't go to heaven? I calmly explained that I didn't say that exactly. I explained how the Bible was really silent on that issue, but that the Bible was really clear on the unique creation of humans in God's image, and, and, and through Christ we can have a relationship with God, and how that impacts eternal life, what heaven's all about. And, and, and nearly cutting me off, she said, well, I, I don't care. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. As an aside, I don't have a theological position on whether or not pets will be in heaven. Don't at me. But her response was exactly what Jesus is exposing here. Some will say, I'm going to believe what I want to believe. There's a hardness to the work and message of Jesus. And this goes all the way back to the beginning. Jesus was clear. The sick, those who know they are sick, they know they need a doctor. Those are the ones who are willing to receive the care that the doctor is offering. So what do we take from this? One, Let's not forget the mercy of Jesus. He, he comes to us in all of our mess and calls us to follow him. We don't have to clean ourselves up to come to Jesus. This is the beauty of grace. We cannot forget this. Two, following Jesus is rooted in repentance. He, he calls us in grace and we joyfully and willfully, willingly put away our old self. We actively turn from our sin and we turn toward Jesus we leave everything to follow him. And this is a work of the Spirit and an act of grace in our lives. Three, his mission is to bring healing to the spiritually sick and freedom for those who are in bondage to sin. And his mission is our mission. Let us not be like the Pharisees and fail to pursue those in need of Jesus out of fear or pride. And four, let us be patient with others and with ourselves because even though we are transformed in an instant by the power of the Holy Spirit, that our citizenship is immediately changed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. Sanctification takes time. And Jesus is gracious to call us and to extend grace to us so that we might extend grace to one another. We have been called by Jesus to leave everything and follow him. And it is a whole life transformation, not an add-on to an otherwise happy life. And so let us with joy follow him fully and call others to do the same. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. We thank you that you are our sure hope in times of trouble. We thank you, Jesus, for coming near to us when we are in need. We who are spiritually sick and blind, thank you for invading our brokenness with your healing and your saving grace. Would you forgive us for attempting to pick and choose the parts of you and the parts of your word that we like and attempt to disregard the uncomfortable parts. Would you continue to work healing in our hearts? Would you continue to move our hearts towards compassion for those in need around us? Would you make us bold in our confession of sin and bold in our sharing bold in our preaching, bold in our display of the gospel through our hands and feet to our neighbors. Would you draw us to repentance 
and faith and move us towards greater surrender and trust in you. For our good and for the glory of your name, we ask these things. Amen. Now, because we're not gathered together publicly, we'd like to encourage you now in your homes, with your families, or perhaps via digital means with friends, with your community group, to interact on this passage we've looked at this morning. On our website under sermons, you'll find an audio recording of this message and a link to some sermon notes and questions for application and discussion. Also, Kyle, our director of worship, has put together a playlist of songs that we would have sung if we were all together today. But those links for both Spotify and YouTube will be listed as well as resources under today's sermon. You can go to rivercityfargo.org and click on sermons and then click on today's sermon and you'll find the links there. Also, you can click on the giving link at the top of our website and give online, which is pretty simple. allows us to keep pursuing the mission of God together here at River City. We are continuing to work on ways to stay connected to you as a whole and in community groups. So please reach out to your community group leaders and stay tuned to this Facebook page as we post updates, music, and other encouraging resources during this crazy time. For the time being, we'll continue to create avenues like this for connection via technology and work to, uh, for ways to make them even more interactive. I think that's all we have for today. So receive this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We love you all. Uh, at least for the time being. We'll see you right back here at 10 a.m. on Sunday uh, right on Facebook Live. Have a great week.